listening to The 30 Podcast. Here's your host, Jazz Kang. All right, Lakers fans, welcome to another episode. Finally, some real basketball to talk about. If you haven't heard and you're living under a rock, the preseason got underway for the Lake Show yesterday. Uh, ended up with a pretty easy wire-to-wire 123-101 win over the Golden State Warriors. Going to jump into all that. Of course, got to let you know this podcast brought to you by SilverScreenAndRoll.com. You can subscribe to our podcast network. We have new shows coming out daily. We're on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, you name it, we are there. And of course, go to SilverScreenAndRoll.com. All the analysis, stats, opinions, breakdowns of every single game and pretty much all your go-to source for all things Lakers. Again, that's SilverScreenAndRoll.com. Joining me today... Having him on the podcast again, fellow Canadian, sometimes NBA assistant coach, uh, also a TV analyst. He does it all. Doug Eberhardt. Doug, what's going on, my man? Not a lot, not a lot, Chaz. Just uh, getting very exciting for uh, for the start of things. These these exhibition games start just wetting your whistle that little bit, and uh, you know it's just a couple of weeks away. It's a, it's, a, it's a gradual step. I mean, I know like a month ago I was sitting here twiddling my thumbs just like, oh, can the preseason start? And now that the preseason started, I'm like, all right, let's get to let's get let's get things going with the uh, with the real games. Now, yesterday, as I mentioned off the top, Lakers came out with a nice win, 123-101 against the Warriors when they opened up the new Chase Center up in San Francisco. Uh, the big news, Anthony Davis, 22 points, 18 minutes in, uh, only played 18 minutes in the first half. Him and LeBron combined for 37 first half points. Pretty much looked unstoppable in terms of around the rim, um, getting a lot of uh, a lot of looks coming off the roll on the screen roll. And and Frank Vogel um, ran a lot of uh, short pick and rolls for for Anthony Davis, getting him set up. From what you saw in terms of in terms of the game and the, and the highlights. How, how did you think the offense looked for the Lakers? And, and is it something that's going to start kind of continuing? Is this what we're going to see a lot of LeBron? And and, and this is kind of what the, the saying is that the teams are going to have to pick their poison on in terms of either guarding LeBron or going after AD. A short answer, I would imagine, yes. And uh, obviously being the first exhibition game, traditionally through training camp, coaches put their defensive schemes and work defense first for the majority of teams so it was interesting that uh, LeBron and AD their talent shining through in terms of how they worked offensively and I was very happy to see you mentioned that uh, they obviously ran two-man pick and roll game with LeBron as the ball handler which uh, I imagine will be a a primary set or action for them especially around crunch time. Uh, Anthony Davis does an excellent job and if you watch the highlights out there in podcast land, you'll see that quite often Anthony Davis will set what's called a flat screen, where he, he comes up uh, to the top screen and roll area. And rather than angling to one side or the other, he'll uh, basically be parallel to the baseline setting the screen. And then he can also flip to one side or the other. And he's quite accomplished at that already. And I imagine we'll use that with LeBron. It keeps both the man being screened guessing and more importantly, Anthony Davis's man, depending on the opposition team's defensive philosophy, it keeps that man uh, anchored to a drop spot rather than jumping to one side or the other to try and uh, hedge or show on any screen that Anthony Davis sets. So that's one little wrinkle in the LeBron Anthony Davis pick and roll to pay attention to. Uh, the other area that uh, I thought when we talked previously, Jazz, that Frank Vogel should work 
with LeBron and AD is the elbow area. So what would traditionally be called a horns setup. Um, with my Mike D'Antoni background, I refer to all those actions as elbow actions. And you even saw a, a very famous Phoenix seven seconds or less set called uh, elbow get, where LeBron James catches the ball at the elbow in the horn setup. Anthony Davis is at the other elbow, comes across to set a side screen for LeBron. And if you remember back to the seven seconds or less teams, that would have been uh, Boris Diaw catching the pass with Amare setting the screen. And what that action leads to is uh, last night it led to a LeBron, just a little pull-up 16, 17 footer because the defense dropped. But what you'll get out of it a great deal of the time is Anthony Davis not even having to physically hit on the screen, quickly rolling and getting a lob pass. And that's, a, that's an action that Laker fans should definitely look for. One of the other offensive things I noticed that the Lakers did last night, uh, Anthony Davis setting ball screens, yes, but Anthony Davis also setting pin down screens, uh, especially ones towards the corner. And um, it, depending on your NBA glossary, we used to call that a quick action where the big sets a pin down screen angling towards the corner for the, the corner shooter to uh, to curl and clear out. And then Anthony Davis and LeBron would then go into a two-man game uh, with a, a side screen and roll or James dumping the ball to Anthony Davis coming back for a dribble handoff. Or one of the other things you'll see on that is Anthony Davis setting the pin down screen for the, for the low guard who then pops up to the wing and Anthony Davis can go back door or even before he gets there to set the screen if the, the defense is cheating somewhat, knowing what's coming on a pin down screen, Anthony Davis will just straight slip it and it will end in a alley-oop. So those were kind of the LeBron and Anthony Davis actions that I noticed last night and, and made some notes on with the old pen and paper in terms of uh, things I really liked what Frank Vogel had put in for those two. Uh, a couple of other things you noticed Anthony Davis, when he sets the high screen and roll, whether it's for LeBron, whether it was for Rondo, whoever, uh, you mentioned the short roll, which uh, LeBron is a master of that pocket pass. So you're looking to hit Anthony Davis in the uh, 17 to 19 foot area, force the defense to play Anthony Davis on the pick and roll. And then you're creating a, a three on two situation where he can kick to either corner or to the wing for a three pointer. So that's, that's a pretty personnel dependent. You've got Danny Green out there uh, in the one corner and Troy Daniels in the other, then no one is going to leave the corners opening up the whole middle for Anthony Davis to finish. Uh, the other thing on that high pick and roll, when, when Anthony Davis pops, you have the opportunity obviously to, uh, to hit the pop man and open up the three point game for Anthony Davis as well as open up driving lanes for him one-on-one -on -one in a mismatch type of situation. But even if you do not get AD the ball in those situations, the other thing I really noticed last night against Golden State was when Anthony Davis pops, whether it's in the slot area or more towards the wing area, that uh, if the Lakers, say, kick the ball to the strong side corner, Anthony Davis then has a wide open lane to run and crash the offensive boards. And he's already a really good offensive rebounder. 
but uh, on those pop types of situations with the floor spread, he's basically going to have a free lane, much like a defensive lineman or a linebacker on a blitz, where he can run a straight line to the rim for offensive rebound opportunities. And that's something I, I think the Lakers will uh, will do well and, and might often pound the offensive glass. Uh, you know, it, it goes against kind of some teams' philosophies of getting back in transition, but with a, an elite offensive rebounder like AD, they're going to just open lanes up for him to crash the glass. So those were kind of some of the main offensive things that I, I noticed on the game last night, especially with uh, LeBron and AD. When you're when you're breaking it down with these with these sets, and you mentioned Troy Daniels and and Danny Green uh, being set up in the corner, kind of as a spot up shooters, and and really that's their job on offense is just stand in the corner trying to create some space and 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 be able to hit open shots. When I'm looking at this roster, and and this is something um, a concern I had kind of in the in the off season is is the depth of of offensive options. Like if if LeBron, I mean God willing, he doesn't, but if LeBron does end up getting hurt. This team is pretty thin in terms of its offensive options and and the ability of these players to to create. When you, when you look at how important it is to have shooters there, is there anybody else you think that can fit that mold other than Danny Green or or Troy Daniels who are known to be shooters? Is there anybody else in the roster you think who could be decent in that? Like maybe a KCP? Sure, and uh, obviously the one of the prime things for the Lakers with this roster was to get more shooting and. Uh, whether it's Caldwell Pope, um, whether it's uh, Alex Caruso, and even I'm not a I'm not a fan in the least of uh, of Rondo and how he plays. But uh, another guy that has hit enough outside shots in the last couple of years, and that's mainly because he's left naked and open at all opportunities. But uh, I, I think they have addressed the shooting enough. Uh, one of the things that kind of subtext of what you just talked about is I don't know whether uh, they have enough creators and without LeBron out there. And I, I think you should look as the season goes on and depending on whether the Lakers make a play for another point guard oriented player or not, that Anthony Davis will become more of a focal point uh, depending on the lineup on the floor in terms of becoming that secondary creator behind LeBron. Given his perimeter skill and uh, ability, uh, you talked about the pick and pop, he'll be able to create off of big men that aren't used to closing out that type of distance to the three-point line. He'll be able to create off the dribble quite a bit. And that's a, a skill I think that the Lakers will try and encourage and hone even further for Anthony Davis. So he, he could become a prototypical second creator uh, and you, you mentioned jazz the the short rolls off pick and rolls anthony davis can become a, a draymond green type creator off of those where the whole pick the poison uh on that play do you do you sink your big man do you show out on lebron giving up that three on two type of situation where hopefully Defenders are staying home on shooters and opening that whole middle up for Anthony Davis to create. Or even if the Lakers go with gargantuan lineups and Davis uh, isn't in, in a, a five, creating five type of situation where you're, you're playing him with Dwight Howard or you're playing him with JaVale, 
you can look for situations like Draymond Green did where AD is rolling and he becomes the creator to the other big who's in the short corner area looking for that lob. So that, that player becomes uh, Andre Iguodala, imagine, in that short corner for the lob. That player becomes the Kivon Looney in the short corner. And, and the reason I'm using the Warriors as an example is I really do think uh, Anthony Davis can be that type of creator, like Draymond Green, in a short role situation, while being obviously a much, much better shooter and finisher in traffic and being able to create his own offense, he'll be able to create for others in that type of situation. And that's where I think the smarts comes in too. And you were, you were mentioning kind of all these options that are going to be available to, to guys who are playing off of Anthony Davis and what he's going to be able to do. And you look at the intelligence of this team, and I'm not knocking the guys that were on the, on the squad last year with the, with the young guys that they had with, um, you know, Lonzo and, and BI and, and uh, Josh Hart now, you know, moving moving on to to New Orleans after the trade. But I mean, you looked at the team, some of the mistakes they were making yesterday, and I think that was something they wanted to focus on. And you could see the frustration with Le- in LeBron's face last year at points where the, the guys on the team were making the wrong decisions, you know, with the ball or, or not rotating right defensively. And I think that's what's something that uh, Rob Palenka in the front office they wanted to address with with this roster is bringing in some some old guys now it, it is a bit of a smorgasbord of, of a mix of players and people and you mentioned i mean rajon rondo uh, not a lot of lakers fans <laughs> enjoyed seeing him on the court even though it was preseason but he did have one nice lob although although to 80 i'll give i'll give him that but when you look at uh the starting lineup that that vogel went with yesterday i was really pleased to see that okay th- this is what i was hoping for coming into this you know initial preseason game with a, a lineup with javel starting at the five they went 80 at the four Danny Green at the three, and again, this is it's basically positionless basketball, especially when you're looking at, at the guys playing on the perimeter. But you had uh, LeBron and, and and Avery Bradley, who looked great. And I mean, yeah, Steph had 18 points in the first half yesterday, but Bradley did a, did a pretty damn good job of of defending him. How key is it going to be for Avery Bradley to be able to bring that defensive energy every night for this Lakers squad going forward? I would imagine very key, and uh, not only for the Lakers, but also for Avery Bradley after, uh, you know, burnishing a a very good defensive reputation uh, and then struggling, uh, to say the least, uh, in Detroit, Memphis, where lineups with Avery Bradley became defensive negatives, even though he continued to be a very strong on-ball defender for the most part. So I, I... like Avery Bradley's game and his ability to uh, pick up full court, which in the very first exhibition game, I always find entertaining, but you know, he's (laughs) at least getting, getting into stuff. And as you mentioned, more setting a tone than anything else will, will be really important for the Lakers. Now uh, the Lakers can put some, some very big, and long defensive lineups out there and lineups where you don't have to rely on Anthony Davis to be the rim protector, obviously, with both Dwight and JaVale. So Anthony Davis almost becomes a, a, a very, very long wing in terms of how you're playing defensively. And his ability to switch on pick and roll helps because it, it also means that you can play uh, either Howard or JaVale and in the game at the same time and have them protect the rim. But it it obviously starts with perimeter pressure, and that is something that that Avery Bradley, I think, can still provide, regardless of 
kind of the uh, on-off analytics with him over the last couple of years, I still think physically, defensively, that he can uh, bring an element that the Lakers require, especially against teams that have uh, outstanding scoring point guards, whether it's a Golden State, whether it's a Portland, whether it's the, the two guys in Utah now, Mike Connolly and Donovan Mitchell. I think that'll be required. And uh, Avery Bradley, in my books, uh, from the eye test anyway, I think he can still bring that to this lineup. Yeah, and, I, and that's what I, I think when they when they brought him in, I, I like the move. And 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 like you mentioned, I mean, he he's a guy who's going to be key for this roster because if if you look at, it, I mean, KCP when the games don't matter is awesome. He's like the second coming of Michael Jordan. I mean, he said last year in, in garbage time, he was putting up well, he was putting up thirty shots a game, but he was scoring twenty twenty five and. Uh, he just can't be counted on on a consistent basis, and so I, I do think that Avery Bradley, what he brings, is is a unique skill set that this team was was definitely missing before before they ended up signing him uh, during the free agency period. I want to jump into a couple other things with you, Doug. Uh, we'll do that after this short break. All right, and we are back. Just a reminder: this podcast brought to you by the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Don't forget to you can rate us. Hopefully, it's five out of five. Leave a review comment and subscribe for sure. Like I said, we we have five different shows coming out each week. You don't want to miss it. We're always breaking down the latest news in Lakerland. All right, Doug, I want to jump into this with you as well. I mean, we've been, it, it's preseason. And it, the funny part is, I mean, during camp, everybody's saying all the right things and Avery Bradley looked great defensively, which he did yesterday in, in limited minutes. And, you know, people were talking about how good uh, LeBron and, and AD looked in uh, in practice and how they were basically, you know, killing the the, the second squad on uh, during scrimmage time, uh, you know, again, everything looks great and sounds great in the preseason. But I want to I want you to put your your coaching hat on again. When you look at at the Lakers team, and let's say um, you were coaching a, a head coach of, of of another NBA team, and you were game planning to play the Lakers, how would you set things up? And what do you think is is the weakness for this team? And and where do you think you can as, as an opponent? Where would you be able to take advantage of some deficiencies in the in the Lakers roster and in their in what we've seen again limited limited time wise in terms of their game plan? Well, I think I'll, I'll just qualify that a little bit. Kind of uh, the way I approach that type of game planning is uh, asking yourself not only okay what what is the Lakers' weakness and can we exploit that, but you also look at what is their strength and is there any way for us to minimize that or exploit that. Because uh, that, that may play into things as well. And um, it, it'll depend. You know, the Lakers can go with really big rosters out there. Uh, and hopefully, I still believe that they'll go with small rosters probably to finish with Anthony Davis at the five. And last time I was on Jazz, I, I got a little grief from some folks just saying that I, I thought the Lakers would play Anthony Davis at the five quite a bit, especially in closing situations. And uh, I got a lot of, oh, AD says, you know, he hates the five. He doesn't want to play the five. It won't happen, et cetera. But that's the Lakers' best lineup down the stretch, in my opinion. And I think will become their best lineup in Frank Vogel's opinion or Jason Kidd's opinion or whoever's opinion matters uh, down the stretch. So if if I was setting up defensively against the Lakers, um, knowing that their their primary point of attack will – probably be LeBron James and Anthony Davis in terms of screen and roll. So that's the first decision any NBA coach has to make. How, how are we going to play pick and roll in terms of what's our philosophy? How much do we vary from that philosophy from game to game? 
And, uh, you know, is it going to be personnel dependent? Is it going to be a, a general philosophy overall? So I think against the Lakers that uh, your best bet is to have the defender on LeBron go under the screen. And although he's become a, a very good jump shooter uh, in terms of what you want out of it, I think you still want him pulling up from mid-range. That's, that's the desired effect. So I, I think you're going under screens or you're going over screens as a trail man and your big is going to play in a drop coverage and try and meet Anthony Davis um, somewhere around the bottom of the charge circle, or not charge circle, bottom of the jump circle between there and the charge circle. So that, that would be my primary defense uh, against the Lakers. I would want to encourage LeBron to either kick to the corner or shoot mid-range, and I want to encourage Anthony Davis to come on the catch, stay home on shooters, and try and finish from a midpoint. Uh, you can't let him get to the, the charge circle per se. You have to challenge him straight body at a higher point and try and make him finish. So that would be my primary coverage. Um, uh, another thing you have to consider, again, personnel dependent, is I think a lot of teams will also choose to try and blitz or double team LeBron momentarily and then uh, scramble back and rotate. Uh, I think although LeBron is probably one of the top two or three passers in that type of situation in the league, uh, personnel dependent, you want to try and make him pick up his dribble, make a decision, and try and make one of his great passes, and then live with the result from an inferior shooter. So that, that's another thing I think the teams will approach in that main pick and roll action with LeBron and AD. Now, in rosters where you don't have Danny Green out there, you don't have a Troy Daniels out there who probably won't even be in the main rotation. You don't have sh enough shooting out there. I think teams will become much more aggressive and physical in terms of meeting AD up as high as possible. So coming out of that drop coverage and getting a hit in on him on any role situation and uh, trying to push LeBron wide to make his pass as opposed to turn the corner. And or you get in a situation where LeBron gets a mismatch and then isolates. I think that's kind of your next step in terms of what you want to do defensively to deal with the Lakers' main actions. You, you're mentioning how, how you want to kind of force LeBron into off the top there. You, you were mentioning, and also I'm not surprised. People, I, I, I was going to make a joke there, but people are complaining. No, no way, Doug. I, I, when you were talking about having AD at the five, it's just that's the culture. That's the culture that we live in. You can't have an opinion without somebody else trying to trying to bash you for it. But um, when you were mentioning kind of forcing LeBron into into being a mid range jump shooter, which I mean, it's been no secret. I, you know, I think the the Spurs did a good job of that when when they matched up against the Heat. Uh, a couple of times there in the in the NBA finals, you know, splitting it. I think it was 2013 and and 2014. Uh, when you're talking about AD and trying to be a little bit more physical with him, is there a way like who would you think is is a good matchup for Anthony Davis in in the NBA? Who who is somebody that that you look at and say, all right, you know what, he can give him some fits defensively? Would it be someone a little bit smaller like like Draymond? Yeah, with with AD, I I would prefer to match up with a uh, smaller, more physical defender, whether it's Draymond, whether it's a Kawhi or a Paul George, uh, 
I, I think those are the ideal type defenders for AD. Uh, if you're you're going a bigger guy, obviously, or a same size guy, obviously Giannis would would be the uh, would be the the physical prototype for matching up. But it's not necessarily uh, being more physical with AD in an individual one-on-one situation, mm-hmm. uh, because if if they're going to rely on all sorts of LeBron AD screen and rolls in important situations. Uh, I'm talking about being physical as well on when he becomes the role man, uh, your your big guy or your weak side guy who's coming over basically to uh, get a piece or to give a football type chuck or to tag off or whatever language you want to use, that that person has to be physical as well. That uh, when, you, when you get a chance to hit him on a roll, um, you know, before he, when he doesn't have the ball, let, let's say LeBron's come off, he's rolling hard, you're taking AD's roll away, and you're getting physical with him uh, when he doesn't have the ball. So I, I think that'll be just as important in terms of uh, wearing down or uh, wearing him down mentally in terms of knowing that if he, when he rolls hard, that someone is always going to get a piece of him. And then, uh, you know, that make it, might make him more likely to pop, which you're just as screwed on in terms of his perimeter, perimeter <laughs> skill set and his ability to shoot. But uh, when, when pick and roll is their, their main avenue of attack, obviously AD is not going to get the ball on the roll every single time. And when he doesn't get the ball, make your defensive presence known, get a physical piece of him, and then rotate appropriately. Doug, I wanted wanted to uh, wanted to touch on this with you. I mean, I'm open to have you on as a sick of me. You get as we keep <laughs> keep doing these going going forward. But uh, breaking down the the Western Conference, it's it's a bloodbath this year. It's just open. I have no clue for the first time. I can't sit here and say, well, there's you know four or five teams that are that are going to win the the championship. I mean, it's in the NBA. It's always it, it's been that way pretty much my whole adult, adult life. It's been all right, you know, you got maybe three or four or five teams that are contending. The rest of them, hey, you know, you can have a nice story like the Pacers a couple of times with uh, Frank Vogel as coach, where, where they made it to the Eastern Conference Finals and just came up short. And I, I think it was always because they it was just a lack of a little bit of a lack of talent on, on the Pacers' part to get by the Heat. But I mean, you're looking in the East. To me, it's between Philly, Milwaukee. Uh, you know, Boston might, might have something to say about it, but I think those are, are the are the top two teams in the East. But the West, I mean, like I mentioned, you got the Lakers, you have the Clippers, you have the Nuggets, Utah, Portland. All these teams are going to be really good. And and Golden State, once they get you know their their guys back with with Clay and he's fully healthy come time for March, they're they're going to have something to say in the playoffs too. When you look at the at the at the order of the Western Conference and how it's it's not just top heavy. Or, or you know, really bad at the bottom. It's it's pretty much spread out. I don't know who's going to be the six, seven, eight seed uh, in the Western Conference this year. But when you're looking at it from a Lakers perspective, where do you think they finish in in the conference? And, and let's say LeBron misses uh, 10, 15 games with with load management. Let's say let's say ten games. Where where do you see them finishing in in the West? At, at this point, and and as you said, you do, obviously we don't have a crystal ball as far as. Uh, injuries or nagging injuries or load management at this point uh, you know there, there's I, i'm not big on kind of laying it out power ranking style one through eight to me um the west you have little you have four teams i think that are legitimate championship contenders 
and then uh, Milwaukee and Philadelphia, as you said, in the East would be my, my East teams above the rest in terms of a chance to actually win the title. So uh, if I had to place the Lakers, uh, given, uh, uh, let's say, a few games LeBron misses, a few games AD misses, et cetera, I would put the Lakers probably at second or third. Um, hmm. And uh, and that's not because I think anyone's necessarily head and shoulders above them, but I I don't think the regular season is their primary concern. Obviously, they want to be at full health, rolling into the playoffs, and we'll do whatever's necessary to to make sure that happens. So with me, the the top teams in the West that have a legitimate chance to win the title are the Lakers, the Clippers, Utah, and Houston. Those four teams, I think, are legitimate title contenders. And Houston may be lower than the other three just because uh, it will be interesting to see, obviously, how James Harden and Russell Westbrook, whether they can take things up above the roster that included Chris Paul or, or whether Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul are interchangeable in terms of what it does to their playoff chances. So kind of the the Clippers, Lakers, and and Utah, Houston, those are my legitimate teams for title contention in the West. Then you go down and you have a team like Denver that was excellent last year and I think will be excellent again this year, but to to me just don't have that little something extra, whether it's youth, because of the youth experience, et cetera, to, uh, to take that next step. And I would bunch them in obviously with uh, Portland as, as another team that is continually uh, continually looked down upon, but has, you know, the, the 1A best backcourt in the league, I would say in terms mm-hmm. of game and CJ behind only uh, Steph and uh, a healthy Clay Thompson in terms of uh, the overall effect of that backcourt. So you, you have those, uh, those teams, that are, are going to be playoff contenders. And then even a team like Golden State. Uh, Golden State still has three of the top players in the league. Obviously, Clay won't be back until All-Star break or a little later, or depending on his recovery, he's kind of a bionic man in terms of ability to heal. So he'll be back. You have a team like uh, San Antonio, I think, that will be scrapping for uh a West playoff spot, not necessarily a contender. You have Sacramento that missed out a playoff spot by just a hair last year and whose young and exciting players, I think, will continue to make a little bit of a jump. So to me, you have the the different tiers of teams as opposed to, uh, you know, who's number one, who's number two, who's number three, who's number four, et cetera. So I'll I'll kind of safeguard myself by by saying those four (laughs) teams, I think, are the, the Western teams that will will finish at the top of the West. I'm not sure in what order, and those teams are the legit title contenders in my books. Is is there one of those teams that you would look at in terms of matchups? Again, right now, I mean, it's it's still obviously early October. We're not we're not even close to it. But based off what we know now with roster construction and and coaching, is, is there one of those teams that you would, if looking at it from again from a Lakers perspective, that you wouldn't want to match up with in in in, in the playoffs? Out of the out of the top teams, uh, I think it would be twofold. Uh, the Utah Jazz, I don't think, 
would be uh, necessarily a good team for the Lakers to match up with. Not in that they, uh, you know, they have someone that can contain AD or they contain LeBron, but uh, because they have such a, an excellent multifaceted backcourt, and then they have Rudy Gobert uh, yeah. protecting the rim against those guys. And with Rudy Gobert, with, with the way the Lakers roster is constructed and my feeling that uh, that Vogel will want to play um, for the most part AD at the four and have one of Dwight or JaVale on the court at most times, you know, splitting, splitting kind of the majority of the minutes between them, that that allows Utah to keep Gobert on the floor at all times. Um, and uh, that I think is difficult for the Lakers. Uh, the wing strength of Utah you know, is, is not great, but uh, in terms of what they want to do with LeBron, but the ability to keep Gobert on the floor, I think is something that would be important in a playoff series. The other team out of, out of those guys um, that I think for the exact opposite reason, wouldn't be a great matchup with LA is Houston, given that uh, Mike D'Antoni would put a tiny, tiny line, lineup out there and uh, be quite content to trade difficult or hard-fought twos at the rim for threes throughout the game. And having uh, P.J. Tucker as an undersized irritant to LeBron, and the difficulty comes, you know, whether uh, who you put on AD, but if the Houston sticks with a switch-everything philosophy for the most part, and it isn't clear yet whether Coach Elson Turner is going to uh, do that. He, I would guess that he's going to switch things up for Houston in terms of their pick and roll coverages and that James Harden uh, primarily will be the only guy that always switches. Uh, you know, Houston, I think, could pose problems just in that they're going to spread the floor and uh, their backcourt is going to get, for the most part, whatever they want and then combine that with, five guys on the floor that can hit the three, I think that's a, a great difficulty for the Lakers. So I, I think those are the two types of matchups down the road that could potentially spell trouble for Los Angeles. All right, Doug, I'm going to wrap up on, on this question for you. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. If you're looking at it from terms of zero to 100 on the scale, what percentage of a chance do you give the Lakers to win a championship this season? Uh, I, I, I need to have a... Uh, mathematical Kevin Pelton-like brain <laughs> to, to figure out something like that. But given, given that I said there's four legitimate teams in the West, I think, that can win the title, um, and two teams in the East that, uh, that have to be considered as well, it, I, I don't think I can put a, a higher figure than probably 25 to 30%. That, uh, that the Lakers are the title winners. And, uh, you know, that, that may vary from Las Vegas quite a bit in terms of how the odds are set. But I don't have to worry about balancing off incoming Los Angeles money against other money, which, uh, you know, fans look at. But you, you have to remember when they set the line on those championship uh, odds that mm -hmm. so much – cash comes in from the Los Angeles area and Vegas, which is also a, a Lakers hotspot, 
that, that I think it, it skews those championship odds quite a bit. So I'll, I'll stick to uh, them having a one in four chance uh, of being the uh, of being the title Larry O'Brien winners for this season. Well, there you there you have it. Uh, Doug Eberhardt going with a 25 percent chance it means it's pretty pretty damn good good uh, for the Lakers to be hoisting the trophy come time for June. Uh, Doug, loved your breakdown. Uh, always love having you on on the podcast. Thanks again for taking the time out to do this. My pleasure, Jeff. Thanks. All right, that's Doug Eberhardt. You can catch him on Twitter at Ebhoops. He's a part-time NBA assistant coach. Works a lot with with players in terms of uh, skills and whatnot. And also, you can catch him on Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver. Uh, don't forget to check us out on Twitter as well at Lakers SBN. Uh, Harrison and crew always doing a good job. Whether it's a meme, whether it's giving you information, they're always the first ones to do it in Lakerland. And of course. Check out silverscreenandroll.com. Again, this podcast is part of the Silver Screen and Roll Podcast Network. Don't forget to subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment. Uh, you can do all that on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, you name it, we are there. That does it for this episode. Finally, we're into not full regular season yet, but we got some real games going on. So exciting times here in Lakers land. I'll catch you all next time. <laughs>